So, uh, welcome to Deafen. Yes, episode <laughs> number 84. With uh, me, Vijay, with his uh, Border Collie. And with uh, Bowie, not a Border Collie. I think he'll get offended if I don't say his name. Uh, I have a name, you know. <laughs> <laughs> say my name. Say my name. <laughs> and um, we have Ray with Eula. And special guest today, the Corgi. I forgot the name, sorry. And we need to mention your We dog's haven't name had his possibly. name yet. We haven't got his name. Yeah. Her name uh, it's actually. called Debbie. Her name. It's Debbie. See? Debbie. It's Debbie. Debbie. Yeah. Princess Debbie. Nice. <laughs> so we have Debbie, and yeah, I mean, her you know, guy, uh, some some dude. Uh, will come, yeah, I'm, just I guess. Here, I'm, just, I'm just here to bring the dog in the scene. Don't, don't, don't mind me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Wilker, welcome, welcome to Defen. It's been, you've got to it's give him his time. full name as well, you know. You've got to. Oh yeah, that's true. So um, yeah, Wilker, welcome to the welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, as I was just saying, it's been a long, long time since we saw each other as well. So what's happening with you, and where are you right now? Well, before that, what about what about the uh, where you met him? Was that? Yes, we we met at uh, Dutch Closure Day because he gave a talk about uh, Patton at that time already. Yep. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In Amsterdam. Yeah. Yes. I think it had a different name, but I can't remember the name of my talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You know, it's all it's, it's there on the internet. I'm pretty sure. It's people that are more important. <laughs> not, I, not I must have missed that. Must have missed that episode. I thought I went to all every Dutch closure days, but I don't remember mm-hmm. the uh, the patent talk. So God mm-hmm. damn it! Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a long yeah. It's, it's some Yo, time it's, ago. It was a great excuse to go to the Netherlands. Implementing graph APIs with closure. Yes. This was that, 2018. Yeah. Yeah. This was 2018. Oh, oh no, I do remember that talk. Yeah. 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 It was uh, it was a good one. It was uh, lots of details. It wasn't it about GraphQL mostly. No. No. Yeah, I had to make comparisons because back then, like, ah, uh, right. yeah, even yeah. GraphQL was a bit edgy. So if I want to get something closer that people can rely, can uh, was can that a joke? On, by the way, GraphQL. that GraphQL was edgy. <laughs> was it, was it, G? <laughs> it was edging on the graphs. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> Now it's a bit naughty. Yeah. 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 But it's it's been yeah, I mean I mean it's not it's not that long ago. I mean 2018 is yeah. uh, but you know, thanks yeah, it, to the pandemic, it's just it feels that, like yeah, the, uh, last, you know, in the last two ages. years feel like twenty so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like twenty oh, and nothing as well, isn't it? You know, I was one of the dog owners in the park today we were talking about stuff and he was like, Oh yeah, you know, it was a year ago when the beginning of the pandemic, and he's like, No, it's two years ago. It's like shit, you know. <laughs> I think everyone feels like that, you know, that it was just a year ago. But actually, yeah, it's two years, and you've got to like, like you know, touch yourself to realize, God, you know, really, time has really passed, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was in 2018, I think. So, what what have we been up to, Wilker? I think we should talk about. Um, so, where are you based, by the way? Are Are you still in Brazil? Yes, I am in the okay. center of São Paulo here, still. Yeah, and they were called Moema. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, right now I'm working uh, in a company called People Saúde. That's uh, we sell health insurance for companies. So it's a business B2B thing. Yeah. And working with closure and trying to 
mm. gets petrol in your in your planes. <laughs> so is is um, is Brazil like America? Then you have like health insurance. You don't have like a health service, like a government health service. We have that too. We have uh, some public public things, but it's very common, especially in companies, to have private ones as well because then it's easier to get like better consultations and exams. But mm. if you don't have, there is a public option here, a public okay. free option. Yeah. Okay. And yes. that's actually, for example, in my my hometown city, because I'm not from Sao Paulo, I'm from Recife. Like uh, the hospital, one of the public hospitals there is actually one of the best. Like if people get in a really bad situation, hmm. could be, or uh, I mean, some sickness or even somebody got shot or something. They are the best. Even if you have private, they usually go there first, just for the first mm. attendance to get like to don't die, and then they get <laughs> if they have conditions, they get transferred after to some uh, more comfortable place. Okay, <laughs> so it's kind of like uh, like make a hospital more like a hotel. This insurance, yeah, as well. But in the day to day things, it's better to use it, right? I was talking mm. about the more extreme case. You go there okay. just to say that. <laughs> We have the, these public hospitals have very good doctors for like this emergency stuff, right, highly right, right. like very emergency, yeah, very urgent stuff. So it's not like the U.S. Then it's a. I don't think there's any public. Uh, no, it's not. No, it's not like public the US. insurance in the U.S. Right. No, it's not. I think in the U.S. you have to pay anyway, right? You, I think yeah, there, yeah. I think there are public <laughs> hospitals. No, I mean, come on, there must be. Wasn't that wasn't that a that was a big series in the U.S. Sent something or other sent elsewhere. There was a big TV no series clue. called Sent Elsewhere. But I think, I think if you if you have to go to the hospital, they will they will assist you, but then they'll send you the bill. Oh, mm, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought there were public hospitals, but they're you know they're kind of like. Like run, run down, not exactly run down, but overwhelmed, you know? Mm. Yeah, um, like I'm, I'm no expert. Things may have changed. So yeah. uh, I think yeah. the, the, the most complicated thing, the most complicated thing that I hear from American friends and American friends, please ping me if I'm wrong about this, is that there's a complexity around like what is in the plan, you know? So yeah. if you, if you have a, an insurance plan, then it's difficult to know which doctors or which medical conditions or which particular you know, aspects of your healthcare are covered by the plan that you have, um, which seems mental to me. I mean, it just seems like oh it yeah, just, it seems like completely a crazy yeah. idea that that you can't you know have insurance and just say, okay, right now, just treat me, please, in the best possible way. Because I, well, I get all my uh, knowledge from the Twitter feed. Right? So that's, <laughs> oh my that's god, probably, <laughs> probably you know citations and everything, you know, fact checked. Anyway, so somebody was tweeting a thread about the U.S. medical system. Yeah. So even if you go to a hospital where everything is covered in the in the insurance, mm -hmm. the doctor might not be covered. Oh my God! Uh, how crazy <laughs> is this? You know. Yeah. So they they're listing out like <coughs> all sorts of ways, like how um, how many ways, like ambulance is not covered, for example, and that's run by a different <laughs> company. So that's yeah. not part of this one. And the insurance people can say. Oh, why did you use this drug? Because we are only going to pay 80% of the other drug and your doctor prescribed this drug. So we are going to only pay 50% of it. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a fucking maze. You know, the whole Twitter yeah. thread was. Yeah. But is that like, is it like that in Brazil or Wilka? Or is it more like, uh, like you're kind of essentially queue jumping if you go private, you know? 
I think like there is a I, I see a trend that is getting more in that direction. Sadly, it doesn't mm. used to be like that. It used to be like just pay for a plan, which is relatively cheap, and then you get everything. Mm. Right now, those plans still exist, but they are getting more and more expensive. They are creating over time more and more this specific stuff, like you are yeah. just saying. So it's mm. yeah. kind of sad. Hopefully, hopefully, if we change presidents, maybe we can get stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what does your business do then in that in that respect? You know, you're you're selling insurance to businesses. Do, do you get involved in that kind of like uh, have to understand all of those options and uh, complexities? I may, I may I may have to get you it eventually. Uh, of course, I have some exposure because we have to see like all these plans and even to make the quotes and things like that. It's quite a complex process because mm. everything is super manual. So they don't have mm. any assistance. Like they have some, if you are trying to sell for a company that it's up to a hundred people, then they have some automatic things to uh, to get the budget, like the the value for it. But if it's not, then you have to send an email for somebody that's going to get the information process for like a week and then send you back another email. And then you have to have manual people to get that because they are not consistent at all. So every mm. company does its own way. Some companies have consistent between themselves. Some companies does not that don't even have that. So it's uh, it's it's a bit complicated to inject technology there. So you have to do kind of to do a lot. So there's a lot of groundwork to be done mm. if we want to really get to a fully fully automated efficient system. But trying to move in that direction. So what, what, how does like, how does closure like fit into that? Are you kind of like using, what, what are you exactly are you building? I mean, is it, is it, is it okay to talk about that or is it uh, still early days? Or maybe, maybe we should start from, you, you should start from the, the beginnings. Oh, no, <laughs> how come, did on. You end up, come on, that's how a nice you question. How Brazil? Wasn't he part of the public health system? You know, it's like. We have to get I mean, there because that's what you're working on, you know? I mean, we use Clojure mostly because um, this uh, this company is founded by an ex-Nubanker, uh, as myself. I actually worked with him in my first team at Nubank. So oh, it's right. like, okay. we believe Clojure is good, so we kind of just using it. And I'm also mm. in the company because it does Clojure, because nowadays <laughs> I'd have to have a really, really strong reason to join a known Clojure company, because I love Clojure. Yeah, and, yeah, it would be weird. Yeah, yeah. Without Paradit, how can edit code without Paradit? I don't know how to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, occasionally I've got to dive into other code bases like JavaScript or you know, or or Go or Rust or something or C, and it's it's a nightmare because everything you always want to open the parentheses. You know, it's it's like you know now it's hard coded in. You know. Oh, yeah, now, now I have to remember this thing about uh, operator prede predecessors, oh, like gosh. order of yeah. operators. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. I think I think yeah, we should so, have like you know every language should have a Lisp version that transpiles into the language. So when when you move yes, between languages, yes. yeah, you just keep actually, writing Lisp. See, Seems like we're going in that direction, right? Yes. Closure Dark, Closure Erlang. Hopefully one day we get to feel all of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sounds like an idea. Yeah, perfect situation, yeah. <laughs> so what is the stack you're using at the new company then? I mean, it's, it's kind of inevitable that you and the founder both are in, uh, in Closure, so you, know, you pick Closure everywhere, I guess. 
Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, yeah, the company is two years old, but I joined it like a couple months ago. I think about okay. six, seven months. So mm-hmm. I'm not there for that long. Yeah. But uh, the rest of the stacks, mostly uh, event sourcing things. Mm-hmm. So right. we use a lot of Dynamo and Kafka. Yeah. And and they're trying to do add some Datomic to the game as well to okay. improve things because event sourcing is good, but uh, they're trying to do event sourcing for everything, and that has some some difficulties for ch- for evolving because changing yeah. an event system is a bit trickier. So yeah. we're trying mm-hmm. to improve the developer efficiency by moving to a more data- database centric instead of just uh, event sourcing. So that's yeah. kind of what we're experimenting now, but it's very early stages. Most of it is still running on top of event sourcing. Okay. But is it uh, mostly API sort of thing, or do you have like website and other other uh, j- front ends? Like just UI? for just for the just for the business, right? The, for the companies that hire, so they yeah. they have some some web UI that can see some things and help yeah. fill up documents. A lot of yeah. the problems is with this filling up of things. Like yeah. getting all the data you need to send to the to the insurance companies so they can they can approve or not or give the price. Okay, okay. So are are, are those really old? Like uh, you you get all this data and then you have to create soap envelopes and then you know call <laughs> soap. Oh yeah, I mean a lot of, a lot of things are go through spreadsheets and like I just spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, back, just spreadsheet come back. soap is relatively <laughs> modern, you know. At least it's a programmatic yeah. interface, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spreadsheets, CSVs. So yeah. It's basically you send an Excel sheet in the end, and then somebody reads the Excel sheet and then sends it back, and then you parse yeah. it. And then... <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah, yeah. I think this, these industries they they never move beyond that one. That you know. Yeah, yeah. They uh, seems like there is no much incentives there, right? Until yes. somebody goes and change something, they're not yeah. like a. They yeah. don't care that much has been working for them. And then you have to get somebody to just change the game and say, okay, if you don't do that now, you're going to be behind. I mean, if you, if you see from the from the other, other perspective, like from the business perspective, where things are supposed to last, and every two days, you know, we as software people show up <laughs> and then say, spreadsheets are the best, man. You need to use DBase or whatever. And they're like, okay, fine. I'm going to buy it. And four days later, you know what? You need to switch to Windows 3.1 and then install whatever the fuck that shit. And Lotus Notes is the big deal. And oh, shit, I need to migrate again. And then so you can imagine from the other side, like every five years or every three years, you know, state of the art keeps changing and they need to reinvest the money. Then probably the business of people are like, well, fuck it. No. I think, I think the, the other thing that's really, I think that, that people are kind of like, let's say, I don't say they're rejecting, but I think they're beginning to kind of like get a bit fed up with is always having to ask IT for things or, or the yeah. developers for yeah. things. And they yeah. would like a little bit more like, you know, the people who are experts in the domain, they would like to be able to maintain their own system. Yeah, but is it you know? is it something changing now? I thought that is the whole point of having Excel and spreadsheets, right? Because they they took control in a weird way um, to 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 have the process, to have the macros, whatever they're written, and pivot tables and Excel formulas and sheets and magic. But I think so what usually happens it is there already. Yeah, but what usually happens. You know, maybe your experience is different from mine, but my experience yeah, yeah. was that that people used Excel 
to kind of develop solutions to work out what the business looked like and how it should work. And yeah. and then they, they kind of within their own work group, they, they used this Excel sheet, but then they wanted to kind of spread it further along the company. And yeah. it, it just didn't scale because that person yeah. who's looking after that Excel spreadsheet, well, A, I don't know if it's going to stay with the company. B, yeah. he doesn't really know what he's doing anyway. You know, he's done this spreadsheet, but he doesn't know, like, he, he doesn't necessarily want to evolve it. He doesn't want to be in, he doesn't want to stay with that spreadsheet for the rest of his life, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And also, it just doesn't scale, it turns out, you know? Mm. As you add more and more groups and more and more people, and they've got more and more demands that he doesn't take or she doesn't care about, um, it's it all becomes problematic. So, so yeah. typically, then you get IT involved, and they make a, a web front end, and they make a database back end, and everything turns to shit, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to keep involving IT with it forever, you know? <laughs> but nowadays, you can run JavaScript on the spreadsheet, so you can just solve all these problems there. Oh, that, well, that, yeah. Then <laughs> you have, as the, as the saying goes, that, then you have a million more problems. How many? Then you have an undefined problems, you know? And never write off JavaScript is the is the what the JavaScript <laughs> people say. Never write off JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Oh uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, but I mean, but let, let's let but let's say they are using all these spreadsheets, and so how do you how do you like motivate them, Wilka, to use your software? Um, I mean, I guess the kind of strategy is trying to automate what we can. Right, mm. uh, the parts that we see that have some consistency, you can try to automate doing parts of that. Maybe even get you some OCR at some point. Yeah, and uh, oh, you're in OCR still. It's uh, you actually paper. No, no, we're not. We're not doing it. Okay. That is just well, a possibility. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a far advanced. Uh, that's an advanced future system that you perceive. <laughs> yeah, it could be at some point. But also, I also like uh, if there are different um, different types of company, right? Some of them are most modern than others. So yeah, we yeah, can also yeah. talk to them and say and explain to them, getting me to say, "Hey, what do you think about we try to do it this way, and we can be more efficient and try to talk and convince, and maybe little by little we can get there." Like we once we have one working pretty well, maybe we can show. Oh, see, with this one, we can work very fast and like. A, yeah, yeah, I guess that's the that's the way that I see it. May maybe evolving over time. Uh, and from their perspective, what what do they get out of it? What what is their you know apart from like efficiency? Efficiency is a code word for something, but what does it mean? Does it mean more money, or does it mean better service for their customers, or you know what what are their what's the kind of narrative that they're buying into? Um, depends on the. On what persona we're talking about here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you talk about the um, the uh, like the insurance providers, maybe it could be like getting faster deals or like um, less cost in operation because we can reduce the operational cost of them if we can automate a bunch of stuff. Uh, there is for the companies that are hiring the service because right now it's kind of a painful process to fill all the data because they have to get a bunch of data from the company, a bunch of data from every member of the company, like what illness they have, like age, uh, where they live, like many different steps require a lot of information. And the 
HR people are like fed up with a lot of stuff to do. And then they suddenly <laughs> have to get all this data to send us because all that, and sometimes they even think that we are wanting this data. Like, no, no, it's not because we want it. <laughs> the insurance companies need that. Otherwise they can't give us a quote yeah. for your yeah. thing. So trying to uh, get all of this flowing better because it takes a long time. Like mm. sometimes it can take like three or six months for somebody to get health insurance ready. <laughs> wow. wow. Now, the other question I've got for you, which is kind of like, I think it's a hot topic. And I, I, well, it is, I think it is in the UK anyway. I'm not sure what it's like in Brazil or, you know, in, in Europe or in America. But, well, I, I, I can guess. Oh, and just, I, I, just to be clear, okay, Europe. everything that I'm saying is my kind of real personal opinion. Is yeah, 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 it's okay. It's okay. It's <laughs> a, it's a, no, I mean, this is, this is we're, we're just considering this as the, the, you're, you're, the, you're the spokesperson <laughs> of your company. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, come on, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody you know, is is gonna <laughs> take it as word to word. You know, no, no, no. We're yeah, not gonna yeah, hope. Yeah. We're not gonna take. No, no one's gonna call over this lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, nobody's <laughs> listening to this stuff. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have moved away from from this nonsense. Yeah, but but there is a sort of. A, a super interesting question for me about health data and personal data, which is like privacy, you know, because medical conditions and all these kind of things. So it's, I mean, and again, I don't know whether closure specifically helps us here with all the immutability because you can't get rid of the fucking thing, you know, just what is it about like uh, healthcare data and all this kind of stuff, which must be super private. How do you deal with that in a kind of, uh, yeah, respectful way and a, a sensitive way? Yeah, I think that's a complicated issue. It it makes me remember. I think when I was with you, EJ, was yep. right when the um, LGPD law stuff was starting to get in practice, and everybody used oh, the yeah, atomic the was like, and... "Oh my god, yep. GPR!" Yeah, and like, "Oh my yes. god, I use the atomic. What do I do now?" Yes, <laughs> because yeah. I think at the, at the point there was no excision in the atomic, right? You can't. Yeah, yeah there I is think no they did it specifically for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah although, well. although it's excision is not really a feature for that because it's really mm. painful to do an excision. So you mm -hmm. can't do like routinely. Like if every week two or three people yeah, are asking yeah, for yeah. remove their data, it's not something you want to be doing like that often. Yeah, yeah. So far, what I see people doing is more about uh, going via encryption. So yeah, you encrypt yeah. the data of somebody with specific key and you can just lost this key. That's mm, as yeah, valid yeah, as removing yeah. the data. Yeah. And in Brazil, you have two different categories of information, of private information. You have the PIIs, which is the mm -hmm. personal identifiable yeah, information. Yeah. 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 But there is the PMIs, that's personal mm -hmm. medical information, because this one you have right, to even right. care yeah, much yeah. more level. Yeah. Than, the, yeah. than the PIIs. Yeah. So... Uh, right now, it's, it's done via encryption as well, like similar strategy. We're also, uh, we don't have an answer for that. I, I don't have at least in my head, but I believe will be something around this encryption thing. And that's where I like, um, I think the attribute design stuff, yep. like uh, yep. modeling things around attributes can help a lot because it gets much easier to like, I can mark an attribute as a PMI. And yep. then my whole system right. can know that's PMI. So yes. if any part of the system can be aware of that, we can write constructs that deal with that properly, um, mm -hmm. no matter where it's being stored or, or rendered. So it's part of your, your model then, like every every attribute that you have has a tag or something 
in the you know, all the way in the database to application layer everybody knows that it is specific type yeah this is how this is what I, this is the way i think could be a way mm. to solve this yeah similar like, to the database handle thing, this yeah. problem yeah okay because I mean, the, other, the other way I've seen it in, in cryptography is that uh, what you do is you have uh, a salted hash and then basically you lose the salt, you know? So you can you can kind of like, that's a nice way of doing it because uh, it's very fine grained. Yeah, because of the salt, fine grained. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it works, it's salt. true. Also, it's funny, you know? <laughs> Anyway, course, yeah. coarse grained. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a that's a very fancy salt. That one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the rock salt. Anyway, yeah. Um, so I mean, that's I think that's really interesting. Is it? Does, does, but just quickly, I mean, does does like um, do datomic and functional programming and mutability does that play into your thinking in in those terms, or are you just like, no, we're using cryptography, so it's like a completely orthogonal thing. I think it's a bit orthogonal. The thing that helps is just um, this to me personally. I think the idea of attribute driven because um, when you compare, right? You guys have may have seen me talking about this before already. But what are called the container types when you map stuff like person, like uh, company. This is the pervasive model, mm-hmm. and this model is quite hard to navigate across a whole company thing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. your models, they are not generally very portable. And you don't know what you're talking about because you may have a person and then you have a simple person, a person with yeah. something. A, a patient, that, a doctor. Yeah, clinical. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And they will share attributes, but there, there, there is no like a robust definition that says when it, that the name for a person and the name for a patient are the same thing. A human yeah. might infer yeah. that, but systematically mm-hmm. as a program, you can't know that attributes across types mean the same thing, which means you have to keep repeating their definitions. And that doesn't cross boundaries of languages, boundaries of uh, runtimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think when you design things with the attribute modeling in mind, the attribute is just a name that you Mm -hmm. put some semantics on it and say, hey, this, this is my name. The type of this is a string. The generators I have for these will generate human names, mm-hmm. and uh, this is a uh, personal information. I'm there. I have whatever database that says could be a closure map that says these attributes PII true or false. Yeah. So you can, and because the attribute is just a name, you can you can rely on the semantics anywhere you use that name. You don't have to mm-hmm. care about if it's in a person, in a patient, in a doctor. So. This is kind of part of the research that I kind of do for Python and attribute modeling because I'm very interested. Because I believe mm-hmm. yeah. when you use this, you can have this kind of leverage about your information that otherwise gets consistently repeated. Yeah. The, uh, do you know about like this um, this thing in the security world of airbag and RBAC? No, not familiar with. Yeah, because they they basically have a very similar idea. They have something called role based authority and attribute based authority, um, or role based access controls and um, which is RBAC and ABAC is attribute based yeah, uh, authority yeah, controls, yeah. Or access yeah. controls, and, and and it's very similar model because what the problem with role based um, access controls is that, like you say, 
it ends up everybody has different versions of this roles or different interpretations of this roles. So you look at LDAP databases, and at a certain point, um, you know, as the company scales and scales and scales, um, I remember talking to a security company about this, uh, that the number of groups in the LDAP exceed the number of users. You know, it's like, yes. oh, hang on. <laughs> There are, there's a yeah, problem because, with because this, you have you know? to have all the subsets, right? Because <laughs> yeah, every, yeah, 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 every yeah, yeah, intersection exactly. you have to have more stuff. <laughs> yeah, so so their answer is to move, and it, but it's a still an ongoing thing, and, and like you say, it's a research thing now, and it, it, they have they have models for it. But it, the the problem comes with with airback, which is this attribute based access control, is that you need a programmable programmable model, programmable mm. uh, interpreter. You need a way to compose those attributes at runtime, some glue code, basically, to create those access controls for those attributes. Um, so I guess that's probably an interesting uh, aspect for you as well, is, is that how do you like, how do you compose all of those attributes together in a way that's meaningful for, for the developers? Well, um, that's pretty much what Peton does, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm helping you. Yeah, You're almost getting there. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Let's center on that. Because, I mean, it's, it's, much, it's much easier to understand Peton if you first understand the motivations between this attribute modeling idea. Because then mm. once you think like, okay, I have these huge bags of attributes and data. And then... Uh, what Patron helps to do is to unify that in a single graph without caring about how many different sources of data they are. So you mm -hmm. get your attributes as an abstract definition, and then you create the mappings between the attributes themselves. So uh, to provide an attribute to the user, you have to write an implementation, a resolver, that's what I call in Patron, a resolver to provide that attribute. And that's something that's indexable and lookable. So for example, if you want to have something private, just make sure you only have one implementation for it or that all the implementations for it have that security code attached to the resolver. Because then that's you can write any code you want for that resolver part. Yeah. And even, even if some information depends on that, because Python can do the traversal, right? It can jump, call many resolvers to get to the attribute. It's going to have to go through that function. So if you have a policy on that function, it's going to ensure that that's the only path to get that data. So that mm. make, makes it easier to see what maybe are the open spots in your code base. But what was the, what was the trigger for you? What was the motivation? Because Pathom went through several iterations, right? We, we are at Pathom yeah. 3 now. So where, where did this start? Like, why did you decide to tackle this you know why did you decide okay you know what i'm gonna click new repository or you know line new whatever and then oh, i'm gonna solve okay. this uh, problem or and i mean uh pattern started much modest for a long time it was just a, a file that i copy over from project to project when i was <laughs> okay. learning yeah. on next uh, mm -hmm. even the name come from on next because patterns yeah, path yeah, pattern on, from yeah. on next back then yeah and so at first, it was just because I was interested in Omnext applications. I like the full mm -hmm. idea, how they connect the relay thing with the Falker thing, have a single database. Yep. But raw Omnext was a bit raw. So you, when <laughs> you have to implement the server side of it, you have to do a lot. You have to literally implement a parser. Yeah, yeah. And 
if you do it over and over, you're gonna you start seeing like okay, a lot of this is repeated stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's try to encapsulate this repeated stuff. So Python was born with that, just a namespace with a bunch of tools to help create parsers for mm-hmm. next. The the big leap for Python was the connect part of it. Because mm-hmm. connect is what does the resolvers indexing and traversing and does all the cool features people like about Python are mm-hmm. actually from this connect part of it. And in the beginning, it didn't exist. The first implementations were just like, imagine a multi, one multi-method that we, we have one implementation for each attribute. So just mm-hmm. implemented mm-hmm. with one attribute at a time. Yeah. But and I was at Newbank. I was trying to use it for uh, for creating the back office application because um, I was into Fulcro already. By that time, Fulcro is was already a thing. Mm-hmm. And I look at that, and you look at that UI. That UI is just a huge number of widgets could, that could grow. And widgets are written by different teams, but they have to load together in a page yeah. efficiently. So that looked to me like a great a great case for using Fulcro in EQL. Because, okay, mm-hmm. we can have teams writing their widgets, composing their queries, and then we can manage the processing. So we started, mm-hmm. um, we started small, trying to write just one widget using it. And that was a hackathon. We wrote the service that handles the backend. And I was trying to implement things using the previous Python before Connect. And, uh, one specific moment was that I was trying to load customer data, let's say customer mm-hmm. name, customer email. And, but the problem is this has two options. You could either get by the user ID or by the user's social security number. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when you look at the a practical side on that, when you write the customer name attribute, you have to do like, if, ha, if there is a customer ID in this, then you're gonna yep. call this function. If there is, uh, social security number, you're going to do this. And you have to repeat that for each of those like right. 15 to 20 attributes. They're like, you know, like, oh, this this does not look nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to scale, yeah. no. Yeah, it's not going to scale. This is not going to scale. And then like, you enter the desperate And then they switch to JavaScript, mode. you know. <laughs> yeah, you and you enter the desperate moment because like, I was trying to push this idea and then suddenly yeah. like, oh, that's a problem. Like, hmm. <laughs> I don't want to push it yeah. it's that way. And... And I was just thinking home and suddenly the idea came up to me like, okay, what if I change this definition type instead and I get the definition closer to the implementation because each endpoint is a real implementation in this case. So Mm. what if I can somehow implement just once for each endpoint and I can say, okay, I depend on a customer ID and I'll spit you these attributes or I depend on a social security number. And then the idea started to just fill in the head, you know, just okay, if I delegate the control out, then I can start indexing this information. Then I can take control of the runtime instead of doing this that's just more like direct, right? Which mm-hmm. feels like how GraphQL, if you implement a GraphQL API, it's going to be more like that. You have the yeah. types, and for each attribute of the type, you can have a function or something. Yeah. But in this case, I take control, do the indirection, so I can make a lot of more interesting things below. Mm. And that's how the connect started and how all this attribute mm. mumbo jumbo started okay. to evolve. <laughs> this is the, the one thing that always like with these, and again, I'm sort of going back to the attribute-based security stuff, but one of the questions you always get is like, well, 
how do you how can you predict with tooling and stuff like that what what you've got what you've got in the database and what the actual access paths are and what you know so essentially the same question for Pathum is like well what are your entities what are your you know you've got all these attributes but how do i know like who can access this system or when i how do i know what the people are that can access these things so it feels to me like that's what you're building now you're building something which can essentially tell people this stuff yeah there there are different ways to to go about it in the case of nubank was actually pretty easy for us mm -hmm. because we don't have to do anything about it mm. and the okay. reason <laughs> we don't have to do anything about it is because uh, the endpoints are already secure. They have like access tokens. And when right. a user, like our services was pretty much a huge controller, right? Our service doesn't have any data by itself. It just was mm. asking data for other services in the company. So since, and the person that asks our service is sending their token and they're getting the mm. token forwarding, forwarding for all the other service. So that token is responsible for deciding if it has access to something or not. So yeah. since we are a proxy, we don't have to do anything. Like the, mm. end, the end side would handle that for us. But in a case where somebody may be using Python to do more direct access to the data, then it enters a more uh, experimental ground. But my suggestion in what people at Fulcro side does is just do it by resolver, since uh, mm. uh, yeah. a resolver is where you're exposing the data. So you mm. can go there and make sure that the user has something. But part of the resolver called there's the environment. So you can pull a token from the user or something, and then you can design in any way you want. It could be by scope, it could be by attribute. I think there is, mm. I personally have not had a chance to do a lot of that. I just have some ideas that it could mm. be even by attribute base or entity. There's some interesting exploration to be done there. The, the, these things, I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm kind of like pulling, back from a dim and distant past, but these kind of things always remind me of this project uh, in the 2000s, I think, called Java Spaces, um, yeah. which was this kind of, uh, again, an attribute-based idea, but it was you, you, you built up views of things uh, on demand, essentially. Um, and I feel like that those ideas, those I think they were called, what was it? What, there was a general concept. Was it tuples or something? The tuple views, uh, I, maybe the tuple spaces. I think it was based on VJ. Do you remember? When you say, yeah, when you yeah, say yeah. tuples, you you remind me about RDF, like the triplets on RDF. I, think, I think it kind of like was around. Maybe it was a springboard from that. Um, yeah, but but the, these kind of concepts where essentially you always you're always composing views. Basically, you you're never you you're, you're never bound into a particular entity or a particular um data model you're always yeah. doing it on the fly on demand on a particular need this this seems to me like it's going to be the future you know yeah it's uh, i think the point here is uh is is that the bag doesn't matter right mm. any mm. any entity is just a bag of data it's yeah. like this yeah. is how datomic works and how clover yeah. spec works as well yeah, yeah. That, that's how those libraries see the world and that's mm. and that's a different model that i hope we get more traction <laughs> right now it's still a niche niche stuff. yeah i think because uh, because i think we're all you know, maybe not all of us but um we, when you start from the object oriented thinking it's always like you first 
define the entity and then entity encapsulates all this um, state yeah mm-hmm. um because we free floating because i was just showing um, a datomic uh, schema definition to someone who is from you know normal sql world and they're like oh why are they just floating around you know <laughs> yeah. you, you you keep you keep just defining attributes and there is no nothing that is defining like a person table and then person table contains these columns sort of way so this yeah. is a it's a bit of a tricky thing to get a hang of because you you tend to think or at least you know if you're trained or maybe you know old people like me we tend to think oh there is this you know table entity object that that I start with and then that has some things and then as you said when there is kind of an overlap you always get into this weird fucked up situation like uh, you know child classes inheritance in an object oriented side and the tables it's all a big mess of weirdly yeah. normalized shit and so the, the the switch seems to be fairly difficult if you are coming from that direction right yeah it's uh also spreadsheets we'll be talking yeah. about them yeah. but the mm-hmm. spreadsheets are kind of the same thing you have a table exactly. yeah. and that yeah. and that's and then you have to get to the person and say okay Imagine that you have just one table that has all the columns yeah, of all yeah. your different tables in the same table. That's yeah. what it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not bound by like the system. All the attributes are in the same space. They are not mm. enclosed by different different spaces. Yeah, but, yeah. but also all these all these SQL people, um, you know, they argue well this this way. But in fact, you know, um, uh, all app databases. And yep. um, and sort of data warehouses and data cubes are all about getting things denormalized again. They're all about yeah, saying, yeah, totally, yeah actually, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. we yeah. don't, we don't, yeah. we we find all of those kind of constraints yeah. of the operational database completely yeah. horrible. So let's, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's give us the ability to custom to query our data, please. You know, <laughs> yeah, and also I think because on 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 OLAP, you're usually interested in aggregations, right? So it's a uh, uh, you, you're less interested in in transactions, and then you're more in transactions as in database transactions. Well, but yeah, but aggregations end up data. being the bags that Wilker's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, kind of like companies like Stardog, right? Uh, that use RDF to do normalization when when one giant company buys another giant company, and they have these databases that have that know nothing yeah, yeah. about each other. Then they rely on this. <laughs> highly enterprise RDF companies to make everything attribute-based so they can make sense of it. Why don't, <laughs> yeah. why don't start that way? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it makes merging a lot easier. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yes, it does. You could just point it. Yeah. Although I imagine, actually, if you if just, just to think in that thought experiment through a little bit more, it wouldn't be that easy because if you have like all the attributes like in one company and all the attributes in another company, it would be easier in one sense. But then that you do have a mapping hell, I think. Uh, you you have, but at least you can have a layer that's only about that. That's true. I, I that's can tell true. you, yeah. for example, I, I recently wrote. Um, I used Python to write migration code because we were migrating from one CRM to the next, to the other. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. So what, what I have done, we wrote some resolvers that read from the CRM A. So they all have namespace and they all have the names that are related to the CRM A. And that's it. That that layer is purely about this here. Let's let's have their names. Plumes. 
Yeah. And then it's all about that. There's only Plume's names. Hmm. And then we got to the HubSpot, which was the other one, yeah. and their API. And then you say, yeah. okay, what we want to write, this is the query I want to, like this is the EQL that represents the data that needs to be available for me to create that entity on the other side, to create a company mm -hmm. or to create a member. Yeah. And then once you have the data from one side and the query from the other, now you can have in that separate file just resolvers that are like alias resolver, like this name is the same as this name. This name is the same as this name. And then when you need, for example, maybe the data format from one is not the same as the other. And then you yeah. write one resolver that does the translation making the conversion. So you mm -hmm. can work attribute by attribute until you yeah. have the queries you need fulfilled. And what's mm -hmm. nice is that they are all very separate. Like the layer that loads the data has knows nothing about the layer that's on the outside. And that's, I think, it's an interesting way because you can see it and you can follow it. And doing by attribute, you, you get a lot of leverage because you only kind of do things once for each and you can evolve easier. Yeah. That's my experience but, doing it, it this way. Maybe it's, um, uh, I'm just thinking out loud, like, isn't it going to be a kind of an issue when um, everybody tends to, I'm not, I'm not thinking about the users of this data, right? Imagine that we are, we are mm -hmm. looking at this attribute-based database, data maker or whatever, that is something. Now, there has to be either some discipline in saying what exactly a person means, like across the organization, that everybody knows that this is the, because the taxonomy needs to be shared, right? So, yeah, uh, because if one application thinks employee is this and the other API thinks employee is something else, then you, you're in a weird situation because either you don't show the data or you don't update the data properly, whatever. So how, how do you tackle this thing then? Is it going to be like um, another API layer or spec? Yeah, I mean, I, to me, what makes the big difference here is not naming the container types like a person. Hmm. We, never, yep. we never have anything called a person. Because yeah. that, that's going to crash short real quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's where attributes are different from entities. Attributes, they are much more durable pieces. Because mm -hmm. what's, what's the usual problem, right? You get, uh, you get an account, and then you try to find what an account is. And then you say, oh, an account is required to have a number, mm -hmm. is required to have an ID, is required to have this, 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 and that. And mm -hmm. then, for example... And then let's say you use that validation across your system. And then next day you want to temporarily save an account where you allow for partial yep. data. Then your model is yep. screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yep. now you have to create another one and then mm. you have to replicate. And that's why the entities kind of fall short while attributes mm. don't. Like a person mm. name, if you define that that's a string and that has this semantics, this is not going to change easily. Also, if one attribute is broken for some reason and you realize, okay, we modeled this wrong, you don't have to lose the whole entity. You just create a new attribute. And yeah. if you use pattern, you can make mapping so you can still use the old attribute, converting to the new or other directions you need. So you get yep. something that you can evolve without breaking mm -hmm. this way because the attributes don't break as big when entities break. Yeah, yeah. And, and for the... So... That, does that mean that I can use Pathum with any kind of storage or is it only... Yes, yes, you, know, you can use uh, Pathum hmm. with any kind of storage because the Pathum resolvers, they are, they are open functions. So yeah. you can do anything you want inside of them. So you're never limited by any specific data source. It could be hmm. from memory, it could be databases, it could be other services. Yeah, yeah. 
Nice. So what is the so the the so you started with Omnext, um, essentially building something for Omnext, and then now um, it, it has become like a full fledged. Um, what is the elevator pitch for Pathom? Like, what do, what would be the simplest way to explain it in in in, in two <laughs> sentences? I tried to work that for a long time now. But <laughs> I guess, like, I would say it's a we library. We have one over here, so. Yeah, that helps you unify unify data sources via attribute modeling. I guess that's okay. the concise way I can help. Yeah, yeah. I can say well, it. Well, Pathom 3 on the readme says logic engine for attribute processing. Oh, I, so, I got to yeah. change that. that that's outdated. <laughs> get on it. Get on it immediately. He's just, he's just pushing a new update I, I, to the readme yeah. right now. Yeah, this, this keeps changing, but I, I will actually take a note because right after this call, I'm changing that. <laughs> but it's always tricky to explain when, when it is not, yeah. you know, the, the, the underlying uh, models are not well known right you know um yeah. it, it takes a while for um especially you know, people need to know what you're talking about and then if you know that if you know the taxonomy if you know the words and then then it's much easier to relate to it um otherwise it's it sounds super confusing so yeah <laughs> nice um well, please go ahead yeah and I was going to say that uh one thing that I see from practical experience on the mm -hmm. new bank project where I mean we were a platform team, so we make the infrastructure for other other teams and people to code. Yeah. And what I see is that for people to understand just how to include more endpoints and more resolvers mm -hmm. in the system, it used to be very simple. You just show mm -hmm. them, hey, there's this attribute. So you're probably relying on a customer ID to pull to pull some uh, purchases or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So you write a resolver, you map that to your input of your endpoint. And then you get the output, which usually doesn't have namespaces. So just put the namespaces on that, and you're golden. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. it. And to do it is like this day-to-day -day operation. People seem to get it really fast. When things mm -hmm. go wrong is where people get confused. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, that's where I see is a way to get people to start understanding this. Because they have an easy experience. They say, oh, it's just that? That's fine. Mm -hmm. So just to add pieces to it seems to be easy. But to have yeah. somebody designing it, know, knowing enough to design the basics of it so other people can just replicate, that's mm -hmm. something that the number of people that like have been thinking about it is not that large. Yeah, yeah. So before, because you, you were at New Bank for you know, Closure, how did you end up at New Bank? How did you end up in Closure then? Uh, or did I you mean, start um, with Closure? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I be a, before Closure, I've been a language junkie. That I mm -hmm. found my passion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like um, I, my coding uh, life started with HTML and JavaScript. So just doing yeah. kind of web development and making websites. Yeah. Um, and then I did a lot of C CMSs and uh, things like that. And uh, mm -hmm. then I migrate to PHP. I did a lot with mm -hmm. PHP, then Rails. Mm -hmm. And because of Rails, I knew Uncle Bob Martin, and yeah. I see his presentation about the last programming language. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that was the presentation that triggered closure for triggered me. Closure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, that's seems interesting. Let's have a look. And then I did. Yeah. I got some books on closure. Tried for a while, but it, 
it wasn't wasn't passion in the first wasn't love at first sight. Hmm. But then a couple months later, I was seeing a presentation on React, and the guy on React said, "Hey, by the way, people on Clojure are going crazy because they they finally now have a way to do functional UIs." And I mean, yeah. UIs is the thing that I actually like the most. Hmm. And I said, "Okay, time to look on Clojure again." And then yeah. since then, I, I got in love and like, oh, this is awesome. I just want to do this now. Yeah. And that's how I got to Nubank. I was just looking for a closure job. And like, there's, mm-hmm. oh, there's closure in Brazil. Yeah. I knew then from the Conjun 2014, I met them there. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like I was attending closure conference and I wasn't working with closure yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this, trust me, I mean, yeah. as, as an ex conference organizer, it used to be, it is probably still a thing. I mean, you, you get so many people who are, you know, closure enthusiasts rather than closure practitioners. Yeah, yeah. closure yeah. curious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then and then that's how I got to Nubank. And like, uh, oh, Nubank seems cool. A uh, company in yeah. Sao Paulo. And I talked to them and they decided yeah. to hire me. And then I moved yeah, here. Yeah. And then I have my happy life doing closure full time. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So, are you still are you still doing the the UIs as well, Walker? Is that is that in your role, or yeah, are you yeah. mostly in this middleware now? Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, uh, I do, I do, I I do. I mean, <laughs> people is a startup, so we do. Yeah, what, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what has to be done? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I like UIs a lot. I mean, I uh, I I was listening for your podcast about uh, membrane. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. With uh, with Adam. And uh, mm. that was, I find that idea super cool as well. Like mm. how I am following Tonsky to, uh, with, with Kija yep. stuff. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Humble UI so, stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, I maintain my some stuff like Patton Vis is some UI that I keep maintaining that I have to, mm. <laughs> to write an Electron app. Yeah. Uh, are you also contributing to Fulcro? Because I know you you picked up Fulcro pretty, pretty early as well. And then you're working on uh, libraries for Fulcro. Um, yeah, I mean, so how, I mean, how do you uh, how do you see the see your PHP Rails experience again as closure web experience? You know, leading into Fulcro and other stuff now. I think that, well, there is a big difference because be, when I did uh, up to Rails, I was most doing like the server server rendering yeah, web yeah. development mm-hmm. way and mm-hmm. not SPAs. Yep. And then migrate to SPAs was about the same time I migrate to Closure and Closure Script. Oh, okay. But I was a fan of React back then. But yeah, mm-hmm. as you may know, React to conciliate with Rails kind of took yeah, a while. Yeah, pretty much. They're yeah. not like very friends friendly to each yes. other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for application state, like uh, I think Closure Closure Script is super suitable because you can get one of the best hot reloading experiences because mm-hmm. it's all immutable data. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like uh, we had uh, we had Bruce doing Figma way before people were yeah. like uh, having happiness with their yeah. storybooks and things. Of that, mm. but yeah, it just, it just changes that the communication thing becomes the API thing becomes a thing when you're doing the SPAs. Like when you're doing the server side rendering, you don't care. You don't care about yeah. it, right? Just yeah. write all the getters right right on your template, and that's gonna fetch reach the database right when it's rendering the template. And it works great. <laughs> that was like the before the MVC stuff. Yeah, yeah. But when you're going through the web, the API side, things change. That's how the whole movement of GraphQL started up because people got fed up about how many endpoints do I have to write? Now I exactly. have an yeah. iPad client, a mobile client, a desktop client. Yeah. <laughs> and they like all the possible subsets 
And but it, that's it's, the it's same back, problem. It's back to the exactly, yeah, exactly the same problem as I was going to say. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, exactly it's the, the same problem, problem of yeah. the types and the mixing yeah. of the things. Like uh, every, yeah. it's, it's all the same problem. <laughs> yeah, I think this is what David was saying. David Nolan was saying about that, which was essentially you make, give the give the client the ability to query things, and it makes life yeah. easier. You know, the the problem with it, um, well, like, it makes life easier in one sense, but then. Again, I mean, it's a security issue. It's like, well, how do you how do you make sure that people can see only the attributes that they're allowed to see, or only the, um, you know, only the 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 non medical information, for example, or you know, and the, this is the kind of thing which GraphQL it was a struggle at the beginning with GraphQL, I think, um, to to inject that kind of um, constraints, let's say, on the of the view. Yeah, it, it, it has a slight difference, but to be honest, I don't see this being that much different from REST endpoints, because that's kind of the same thing, right? You, The way, it, it's always controlled access. Like, uh, I don't know anybody that's in production allowing, just putting a system out that allows full database access. Yeah. I mean, nobody does that. You always, yeah. you always have to put your access points in front of it. Mm. So if your access point is a REST endpoint like that, and you are in that problem we discussed about the mobile iPads and that stuff, then you may have to write that in multiple controllers. And I mm. think that's that's kind of the same thing when you're doing GraphQL or Python. When you write the code that allows for the access of it, that's where you need to do it. Of course, because of navigation, I guess what people in GraphQL and Python might fall shorter on that is because since the traverse of the data may become a bit more automatic you may mm. like let let some points let exactly. some of these graph edges pass yes. without being seen yeah. that's kind mm. of the problem and you are not aware that this is happening and then suddenly you have this this path for people to yeah everything has they, everything what, has to be more dynamically evaluated i think that's the key thing yeah yeah and that and but i believe uh, with with time we can we can have these things more standardized and like it doesn't have to be something that everybody has to think about it because nowadays it's like everyone that's designing a solution will have to stop sit and think okay what how do i do this control access i hope yeah. over time we'll have this better documented so people already have um pathways set for yeah. them to yeah go about well maybe it. we can like merge the attribute based access control and the attribute attribute based queries um you know those things could be merged yeah that seems like a i don't know it seems like something new we've just thought of yeah let's do that <laughs> yes let's do it <laughs> i'll hit you up afterwards okay let's see if we can make a framework <laughs> but where do you see this going because you know of course we're not talking about unifying everything to be it because i i don't think there is any other "Quote unquote mainstream databases that make attribute other than datomic, right? Like, or, or maybe tuple storages or whatever, if if they're available, if they're, but they're used in a very specific um, contexts. Yeah. Um, so datomic is is is, yeah. I think mostly closure, you know, a subset of closure people knowing the power of datomic and using it. I, I haven't seen anybody shouting from the rooftops like, hey, Datomic, and then we're done, and then let's use it in, uh, I don't know, Rust or whatever. So 
it because it, it seems to be like it, it's kind of an at odds with the 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 rest of the programs that you design with you know, with with closure there seems to be uh, to to use this weird uh, weasel word like a synergy between language and code and data and the database um but do you see any other things popping up like this or do you do you see that this is going to you know picked up in by by other mainstream technologies yeah i mean I think I think this is about culture, right? We mm. we the, the reason we have so many databases and things modeled this way is because it's our mainstream culture of programming, mm. um, and that's that's one reason that why Python the nice thing about Python is that you can wrap and you can add your namespaces, so you don't have to rely on a data source that's using mm. using attributes under the hood, like you can have this translation layer. So yeah. we can leverage, we need to be able to leverage all these database because otherwise mm. we'd be stuck. Yeah. Uh, one one like uh, non, non-conventional example that I can say is that you guys are are familiar, are aware of auto-merge? Yes. Mm. Auto yeah, merge? It's, like, like, it's like that way of merging documents in different times, you know, different timelines. Yeah, it's uh, ah, CRDT. Like CRDT. Yeah, you know, yeah, CRDT. Okay, yeah, 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 CRDTs, yeah. 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 Auto, auto merge is an implementation of CRDTs by okay, okay. Martin yeah. Kaplan. Martin Kaplan. Yeah. So yeah. I trust the guy's work. Mm-hmm. And one of the architectures I've been experimenting with another day was that I put I put a pattern uh, code on a web worker with auto merge. Mm-hmm. So now you can have the data going through an auto merge and have all these clients synchronizing over it, but the thing is, with auto merge, you really don't want to have a single document because mm-hmm. the documents in auto merge they are kind of like datomic; they, they kind of grow forever, mm-hmm. and yep. they have all the history of everything that happened, mm-hmm. so they use for the process of merging. So, what people tend to do, that I see people doing when they want to scale this up, is just have many documents. So you have documents mm-hmm. pointing to documents, and this is just standard JavaScript interface. And you can mm. completely, totally wrap that on Python so you don't see any of this fuss of looking in a file, looking for another file, look for an X in the file. And you map that because down the layer, if you agree with the attribute modeling, you only have two things, right? Entities and attributes. And they are yeah. linking each other. Yeah. How this is happening doesn't really matter. And the developer that's using the data don't need to care about it. Yeah. So I think... It could be a culture shift if a lot of people start doing it and seeing the value of modding things this way. Because then they yeah. can see, oh, yeah. But like uh, one complaint I see with using patterns that ah, I'm really annoyed by having all these adapters that I have to write. Like add key, add namespace here, remove namespace there, add namespace here, remove namespace there. But that's really important for patterns, so you can't yeah. really go without it. Yeah. But it could be that at some point people are like, okay, I do all of this. Maybe my database can save stuff like that and Datomic mm. can. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. who knows? Who knows? We can dream about a future like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you mean it's more like the um, application design choice rather than the data storage engine because you know that that can be relevant yeah. by using things like uh, uh things like Python. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But also can you I mean is it something which you can like have as uh, data that you can store on the side in in a database that you're aware of, or don't you want to get into that game? 
you know, you don't want to get into the game yourself of um, of having like a a, a, diff, a channel into the database or a channel into the persistence environment. Uh, right now, it's not any focus of Python to do that. Python just should be really, Python is a big controller, really. Mm-hmm. Python doesn't have any specific things for read or write. It's just the communication layer that you can use via EQL to make all this right. communication. Like you can, you can design a whole system that is purely EQL based on communication because you can ask mm-hmm. anything you want by asking the query attributes and you can uh, do the mutations which are just symbols with are pretty much like function calls that you define mm-hmm. what they mean on each context. Yep. So this, the, the details of the implementation need to be really open. And that's kind of my focus now, right? To get this part working well, because, uh, I, I have a bigger plan. That's like my dream architecture. Okay. That's when you heard it here first folks. <laughs> we, we, we yes. already right, we already on. said That's... a completely new design design yeah. idea and then now this okay okay come on spill the tea then <laughs> no it's this but this is about this is a consequence of this design it's more of a consequence yeah something mm. you can get to there is how you can integrate these kinds of services because mm. um you can integrate multiple graphqls via federation I don't know if you guys read about it. Yeah, yeah. The problem is that the federated GraphQL needs to be designed for federation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you, you can't just like say, oh, I have a GitHub GraphQL and I have a GitLab GraphQL. Let me just merge those together. That's yeah. not so easy to do because you have to care about the what's on the query route and they yep. don't collide. The types problem, the same type problems we, we've been discussing. Right, you mm-hmm. can't easily map things from one to the other. Mm-hmm. But on the attribute-based systems, if you have those two, then the names are completely different mm-hmm. for starters. So there is no clashing on that. And you can write manual mapping. So part of the work on Python 3 was to allow for this feature. The feature that let's say let's say those services are already in Python for mm. the dream state. If you want to integrate with uh, GraphQL or GitHub, all you have to do is make a way to make a request to it. If you give me a way to make a request to it and get the response, that's all you need. Because then Python is going to ask for the indexes of that service. They, then Python like, um, puts those indexes on your current instance. Mm. And when you make queries, Python can do the orchestration. They say, OK, this part of the query needs to go to GitHub. This part of the query needs to go to GitLab. So you can use other data from one other plus the resolvers you write on your own. So you create mm-hmm. this system where the integration becomes just pointing to it. And you don't yeah. have to, like, you see, like, uh, would be much, much easier to integrate any APIs in this way than any form yeah. I know nowadays. Just, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a, if this is a interesting diversion, um, but, what what future do you see for EQL? Because um, for me, uh, it's a sort of underplayed hero in a lot of uh, environments. Um, EQL, but uh, I don't know if a lot of people are really fully aware of it. You know, this uh, Eden query language. Yeah, and I mean, um, I, I just baptize it. To be honest, Dave mm. Nolan's the responsible for creating most of it. 
the the reason that the name EQL system exists is because there is Fulcro and Petal, and both needed it. So, right. so talking, to, so me and Tony K, that uh, is the guy who writes and maintains Fulcro. Yeah, we're always like, oh, okay, yeah, and we're answering for questions on Slack and say, yeah, the all next query syntax, the all next query syntax, and we have both the na no name and the code duplicated between Python mm. and Fulcro. They say, hey, let's fix it up. So I just extracted the code, put a name on it, EQL. EQL sounds like catchy, short, small. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just <laughs> call it good, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's call it there and then reuse it. And uh, I mean, I think Crux also uses it in yep. um, Pyramid. I think the new new libraries are using the name as well, which is nice. It's mm. cool. They are using the names in the code uh, from EQL. Mm. And Geekyo is just about the shape description, like is the is the layer we can use to communicate. Mm. So as a communication layer, I think it's great. And uh, Python to me is just one implementer of a query processor for EQL, but mm. Fulcro itself has its own implementer for it that mm. reads from the local data local map database because it's more efficient for them because it's very specific. While Python tries to be more dynamic and broad and do complex uh, like complex data sources but there people can use eql as they see fit and if we all at least agree on the on the syntax it's it's easier to reuse across different different sources right so it's not uh, directly competing with uh, graphql then or or is it something but it's recursive, i think it does so... huh? It's recursive, so it is. Yeah, it, it is competing with GraphQL. In that sense, they, yeah. they are just both a language to describe requirements. But yeah. EQL is much lightweight because EQL, EQL was designed uh, with the principle that the, the language itself is data. Mm, and yeah. that gives us some leverage, for example. Yeah. We don't have to write features for, for uh, partials or yeah. variables or yeah. any of that because it's all data. If, if you want a partial, just drop the thing inside of it because while GraphQL was, uh, when they designed it, they thought about, okay, people are going to use this as strings, like SQL. Mm. So mm. because they're going to use it as strings, I need to have interpolation features and like mm. Uh, mm. extension mm. features. And then they have all these crazy features like yeah. conditionals and this kind of stuff that we don't need because for well, us it's parsing, just data. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the parts yeah, and all yeah. this stuff. You can't just do a read string on it. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, I like I can bring a few another another interesting thing about the attribute modeling. I can say we did at Nubank was is that you can have generators for the attributes as well, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yep. one thing that I found was really efficient, like uh, people like this, is that when you're creating a new widget. Maybe you don't have the server stuff ready yet, or you don't want to hit a server to try it. Mm -hmm. So because the queries are just EQL, we had a processor for EQL that it just scan the query and use generators to fill everything. Like it doesn't try to be oh, consistent anyway. Okay. Yeah, but this yeah. is super cool because then you have the component when you try. We use uh, workspaces there. That's like dev cards yep. differently. Mm -hmm. And then you can have a widget that you create and you just keep uh, pressing the restart button and keeps generating mm -hmm. data. 
So you can keep seeing yeah. the component. You can interact with the component without having any real server. And just because mm -hmm. these attributes are flowing this. Yeah. So that makes the, the whole UI development much more, I think, realistic, um, because you're, you're actually playing with the data, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and easier, yeah. Yeah, Because yeah. you don't have to have dependencies like, oh, I need to find a user that has this status or this or this or that. You can yeah. both just or feel manually or just keep refreshing until you, the state kind of looks like what, what you want to see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. So uh, maybe, uh, you know, go, going back to Clojure, because you've been using Clojure for, for a long time already. Um, so are there any things that you miss? <laughs> maybe not from from <laughs> php <laughs> man, man. Uh, or maybe let's uh, put it this way like you know are, are there still any pain points that you think okay this is this is something that got to change hopefully one day in closure or closure ecosystem or tooling or everywhere or is uh, there something like you know what fuck this i'm going back to php moment <laughs> No, I mean the, the only thing that I that would that was really nice about PHP in that sense was that the deployment was kind of easy, right? You just put yeah, a file yeah, in I just put, put the file in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like back then we even added on the FTP exactly line, just right? there. We fixed, yes, we fixed yeah, bugs. Yeah, uh, FileZilla editing. Right. You can you can repel into the thing, but it's not yeah, the but, same experience. Yeah, but, I agree. Yeah, yeah no. but isn't but I mean, this is one of the frustrations for me, and one of the reasons I like like uh, Depths.Eden is that. Depth Eden gives you that capability again. You know, you just drop just drop your files in and just restart the application, and bam, you're done basically. You know. Yeah, but on PHP, you just you don't. There is no restarting, so it's just yeah, refresh the page and you're done, and there is not nothing there. Well, it it breaks in mysterious ways, but anyway. <laughs> oh, but that's, the connection that's, pool uh... that you have to manage without an application, a real application. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good old times, but, it's, but isn't that yeah. like a yeah. like if you think about the way that you like you have an application, uh, you can have file watchers, you know, on your FTP site or your your server side, and you can just restart yourself. You know, it's it's actually quite easy yeah. to do that. You don't need yeah, to yeah, have yeah. a whole full redeploy and everything. You know, yeah. But nowadays we actually have a, a more a very close to PHP option to do that. There is deploying deploying with Babashka. Just deploy yes. a, yeah. a service with like those Nginx proxies, and you, you have a Babashka that's working pretty much like yeah. a PHP process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have from, welcome full circle back to CGI. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's exactly. just a scripting environment. Yeah, bam, just to make it happen. Yeah. yeah, so we have that, so I can't miss that yeah. from PHP anymore. Sorry, PHP. That's true. That's so you, true. So, so what you're saying is that Bork Dude has like written PHP for you. Yeah. <laughs> In a sense, yes. I'm sure you should be proud of that. Al yeah. Along with the many, many awesome things you have been doing for the community, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Mikhail will be delighted to know he brought PHP to closure. Actually, from that sense, he would. I'm sure he would be. It's, uh... But I mean, uh, my question is, when, when, when yeah. somebody is going to write the, my closure to PHP compiler? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think th Don't those give are the ones that... Don't give Paul good <laughs> ideas, you know. It's okay. <laughs> He's got enough ideas. We don't need to give him any more, you know. I find more too awesome because, like, sometimes you see a problem that you don't even care that much about the problem. You're just like, oh man, yeah, this is not working, but you know, it's not a big deal. Like, I, my last experience with Dean was kind of with Meander, 
I was like, yeah, the, yeah. the thing with Babashka is that I can't use Meander yet. And, and it's kind of like, oh, why? They say, oh, yeah. not running. And then, and then I like, I go do something else. And I back to my computer one hour later. There's, later, there's Mark Dutton. Hey, by the way, it's 80% of it's working now. I just have to finish <laughs> this two pieces. And like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. He's, he's awesome. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, that seems like a feature yeah. of the podcast. Uh, almost every closure podcast these days, you know, the Borg do this awesome feature. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's, he's also one of the release notes. Anyway, there is a Borg watch or something that I like. Oh yeah, Borg yeah, watch yeah. for the on the closure stuff. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, you have to well separate. Deserved. Yes, yeah. he needs his own uh, his own segment in every <laughs> in every closure media. Yes. Yeah, because he alone produces half of the open source work of the closure community. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he needs to be protected at all costs. <laughs> the bus factor is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but oh, on, on on that note, so is there any? Um, I mean, uh, but the, but the question was uh, was um, reasonably serious. I think you know, like, is there something that uh, you know? Uh, closure you're waiting for or uh, something that is going to um, based on your experience that this this is going to you know take closure to the next level um, that that you think Um, apart from the deployment stuff that you talked about yeah not right now there there was a feature I was waiting for a long time but landed on closure 111 that was the lightweight aliasing of keywords yeah I even try to poach to poach for it, put it on my talk, say, hey, I care a lot about this issue. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was the big one for me because this this makes much more easier to handle to handle the long attributes. If you're really yeah. trying to go full in on that. Mm-hmm. It was a pain in the past that you that you have to have a namespace if you want to use an alias or you have to write the full thing. Mm-hmm. So now that you can't have you can have that, especially in closure script. Because mm. in Clojure, you could hack it out by writing requiring an alias on yeah, the yeah. app itself, yeah, and that yeah. would work, mm. but not on Clojure script. So mm. now I think this opens the space for it. Other than yeah. that, maybe better error matches, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think I think at, at this point, everybody got used to it. I think if yeah, it changes, I mean, then everybody is going to get pissed, I think, now. If the error messages yeah. get better, then everybody's like, "What the fuck is this? I can't understand anything anymore." Like, I want those two thousand line stack traces with closure RT, though. Yeah. I, know, I, I, th- I think they see it as a solved problem now. You know, that's uh, which yeah. is uh... yeah. But I mean, I don't, I don't have much a problem with them, but since a problem that a lot of people complain, it, especially beginners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a solved problem, but I think it's, I don't think it's high on the list anymore. Yeah. Yeah. What about you guys? You have something you are looking, waiting for? Just, just, be, just before we move on, what, what yeah, about we, like the difference between like... We, we don't use Clojure anymore. We just use Python. <laughs> and PHP. <laughs> yeah. And PHP, yes. Yeah. That's why we're so excited yeah. about Babashka, the PHP uh, <laughs> Um No, the other question I had for you about the Clojure stuff was like, you're using spec, I think, with, um, with some of the Python stuff. So how is that working out? Uh, not with Python itself. I mean, for Python development, I use guardrails, which mm-hmm. is uh, from Tony K as well, right, right. to spec the functions. But mm-hmm. it only runs if you specifically ask it to. 
uh, you can do it with, via flag on the JVM or via Adefine, some Clojure script. Right. So it helps me out because keep checking the input and output of every function. I like that for it. But on Python itself, uh, if you just use Python and do nothing, like spec is something you can plug on the outside or not. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've been doing on that sense is that I wanted some of the, I wanted to use EQL as a language to also not as just to demand data, but also to validate data. Mm-hmm. So this kind of looks like what spec two does, but I wanted to do with spec because um, I mean we are all waiting for spec two to be final to start using. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wanted something like that. So write a small library that can get an EQL, get a piece of data, and validate. So we mm-hmm. can ensure it has all the attributes you ask, and if the attributes match the specs they have. Mm. And this is what we want to use for validating messages or any kind of HTTP endpoints we need. So if you like, uh, if on a Kafka message, you can you can specify the schema of that using an EQL schema. So that's the closest thing I've been using. Uh, the most interesting thing, the way I think I've been using spec yeah. lately. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that actually, but that's really, yeah, that's really interesting. Nice. Um, so I, I think I, I still have my question left. So <laughs> use Emacs okay, or some so. other shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I, I have listened to the last released episodes of you. So uh, yeah. I'm not sure what happened on the one you didn't release yet. But if that was in Emacs, I'm breaking the streak here. Because <laughs> there was a lot of Emacs well, then, going then on. I, then I'm not going to publish this episode. You know that. Oh, yeah. It depends on the answer. <laughs> we only release oh, that, Emacs that's episodes why, now. That, that's why all the episodes are having Emacs episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry. But, I mean, we, uh, we've, gone, we've been going for an hour, an hour and a half now. But if you don't use Emacs, <laughs> it's a waste of time. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> The, the entire audio file goes to dev null and we're yeah, done. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then if it's somebody sorry, asks sorry, Wilker, Wilker who, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, normally <laughs> you ask this question early doors to kind of cut the yes, conversation exactly. short, don't you? you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually this yeah. is the first question and then that decides whether you know, we, we should record or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I've been, a, I've been a Veen user for a long time, actually. Okay. But nowadays I am an IntelliJ user for the most. Yeah. But okay. I recently also been thinking about trying the Emacs thing. So it's on my, it's on my list. I feel like I'm ready to try a new editor because <laughs> a I've been... A new editor, which has been there for 40 <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah, a new, a new for me, a new editor for Yeah, me. yeah, yeah, of course. It's because when I, yeah. when I, I mean, I went on Vin, like I spent five, six years doing Vin. And then yeah, I went yeah. to IntelliJ because it just worked. And then I yeah. said, oh, I made a lot of Emacs. Sounds interesting. They're like, oh, I have to learn a lot of these King Bidens again. I'm not doing yeah. And then I put it for a rest. And that was like four years ago. So yeah. now I think I'm on a point that I'm ready to to try again. Because yeah. I've been trying other editors. I, I made a setup for me on Sublime, on VS Code, on Atom, Australia. But kind of all they suck, to be honest. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For you, anyway. They always yeah. have Trust this. Me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, I'm thinking of giving um, a new chance to Emacs. I mean, they all I have their rows and cons. Yeah, I think you're like, just licking his toes at the moment, though. Come on. <laughs> you're just trying to get your episode published, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have, we have to do the politics, right? 
I mean, we need all this time. I show my dog. I have to get this, dog, this thing published. The, the, the only reason we continue to record is because of your dog. And now because Emacs, you are going to be willing to try. So that's fair enough, I think. Okay. Well, we'll okay, get yes. yes, yes, I got it. Yes, I think, yes. Um, <laughs> I think if, if you if you're really into Wim, then I can recommend, I think, trying Doom Emacs maybe because that's a really Wim fanatic. Yeah. Uh, but to, to be honest, made, I uh, yeah. I replaced my idea. For example, I um, for me on IntelliJ, for example, I do use something called Ace Jump. I guess from yeah, yeah, there. that's there. That's already there in Wim and uh, yeah. And I realized yeah, yeah. So but you're getting very excited now, Wilco, because yeah, nah. Wilco, because he's like, oh, 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 maybe, maybe he will be using the next. <laughs> Look, that that is the, that is the that is the funny thing because the the the. The reason why you know Emacs or Wim are still there is because they are like time-tested open source shit, and regardless of all these editors are gonna die in. Okay, there are a few other ones, exceptions like BB Edit, for example, on Mac, which has been like thirty years now, which is crazy. Uh, yeah, so there Textmate, are some. Textmate, but some who, who still uses Textmate? Yeah, exactly. But Textmate has, uh, I think, it has its peak when Rails was uh, hip and everything, and then yeah. it just disappeared. You know, it's still open source, so it's it's a reasonable editor. But that—that that, that is the nice part about these these things that they're going to be there, and you know the, the source is yeah. there, so you can compile, you can run it, and, which is the yeah. which is the key part that the, the whole free as in beer sort of thing that people keep missing, and it's not just because it has features. I'm not saying it's the best editor because I I, I do you know every now and then I'm poly editor sometimes, and then I I switch to other ones, and recently I started using Nova, which is like a commercial editor from Panic. Which is a um, yeah. those guys are Mac software builders for ages. Um, what's what's and, the exciting thing about this editor? No, it's just it's just a native editor, and they they actually wrote their own uh, text um, engine uh, because they they found a lot of bugs in Apple's uh, text kit, and then they just made their own thing, and it's it's blazing fast and it's beautiful to look at um, because right. it takes all the <clears throat> you know Mac aesthetics into it. But anyway, uh, but but. It's nothing is gonna make me, you know, go away from Emacs anyway. You know, that that's the whole whole point. But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, if you if you use um, uh, Ace Jump, for example, um, there is Ace Jump for everything in Emacs, oh, yeah. including buffers and all the shit, and everything can be Ace Jump. It's <laughs> super cool. Yeah, I mean, I think when you combine Ace Jump and Par Edit, then I don't miss yeah. the Vim stuff anymore because yeah, I can yeah, jump that's... anywhere and I can operate with yeah. the structure stuff. So this yeah, makes yeah. me don't miss as much the Vim, the Vim, yeah, the yeah. Vim surrounds and deletes. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you think this editor like compare? Oh, I was just curious when the new editor you're saying, how do you compare with Sublime Text in terms of performance? Because Sublime is uh, like I a, haven't, well, I haven't, that's true. By... Yeah, yeah. I haven't used Sublime in Anger, but I'm pretty sure it would live on par um, because. Also, it's it's very much optimized for Mac, right? So it's a really just one hardware application, one software application. So it it's it's a yeah, uh, it's an it's an expensive one, but it's um, it, you know some of the Mac software that I buy because it's they, there is certain sense of aesthetic to it. You know, they, they just look nicer on Mac. They play well with yeah. the whole operating system. Yeah. Uh, uh, rest of the shit looks like the electron crap, and you know none of it works as as it is supposed Sorry. to. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
anyway um i think that that concludes our you know editor <laughs> segment of this um any any um any other things that we missed welker because i know you've been you know at uh, doing pathum for i think <laughs> what it seems to be like 30 years now <laughs> <laughs> after pandemics yes <laughs> yes exactly yeah did did we miss anything anything you want to highlight um before we conclude oh no i think we're into holding parts and stuff I mean, yep. the other project I work sometimes is workspaces, but then yep. I think it ended up being a niche, a niche productive thing for Fulcro developers. But if oh. anybody wants to take a look, I think it's a nice alternative for dev cards or storybook. But to be honest, storybook's better. And if you can do storybook, okay. just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not a great salesman. <laughs> He wants to he wants to archive it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, but um Wilco it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to see you again, you know, virtually at least, you know, hopefully we'll uh, you know we'll meet again in in person. I know that uh, so closure D is on will be there. Uh, the whole uh, the entire crew and cast of Defen will be there. <laughs> so all three What closure D? Yeah, closure D in uh, in Berlin. uh in when when is it again june june 11th 11th yeah june 11th 11th i got yeah, check maybe you should, you should I, fly I, in i should check i have a festival to go to in europe this year oh, okay uh, that i have been waiting for i got the ticket in 2019 so i'm really looking forward to it <laughs> <laughs> that's a common thing isn't it yeah the, keep on canceling and then <laughs> Seeing they'll do it again. So I have to see the dates, yeah. To do about yeah. that and to with Debbie, right? I have to now care about Debbie. Oh yeah, that's yeah, yeah. a yeah, that's a blocker yeah. for is... traveling now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm 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 bringing my dog to Closure D, so you know, it's not as nice. far in fairness, is it? Not, yeah, yeah it's, it's just <laughs> I mean, give or take a few hours compared to Brazil. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, I'll see. I'll see if I can show up. I'll be really good. Really good. Yeah, that'd be super nice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, maybe we can, maybe we can come to some conference in Brazil. You know, Florida yeah. South. Oh yeah, Florida um, South. Yeah, that would be it really seems good. Seems like the whole, uh, pretty much entire closure. Ninety nine percent of the closure developers are in Brazil now, so yeah. <laughs> it makes sense to show up there. I think. Yeah, they make, they make got not just the thing they got locked the company and then they told me got everything. So now yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> we've, got, we've got no excuse not to go there. Yeah. So it, it seems like Brazil is the new mecca for closure. You know, we just need to go yeah. there and then like make a pilgrimage. I mean, I think if bank. we can put it on business expenses, it works for me. You know, so. yeah. <laughs> we should always do that. That's yeah. why it's great to do the talks abroad, right? You can uh, put on yeah. the company expenses for the trip, and it works great for everyone. Totally. Excellent, excellent. So I think I I, I think uh, you know we should we should say go and subscribe to our Patreon so give us money so we can go to Brazil. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> you want us in South America? <laughs> yes, we do. Anyway. Taking some kayakingers and stuff like that. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, Corey, it's been a pleasure, and uh, you know, um, awesome work doing you know with with Patham and um, also Fulcro work. I know you've been uh, you know very active in the community in, in that sense, and also you're you're pushing things forward, right? You're thinking about the next level of um, mm. to, to next next way or better way to solve the problems that we have. Uh, so that's that's really amazing. So you know, we'll keep an eye for the 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 new uh, thing that you're thinking about. So. 
I think by the time this episode pops out in a few weeks, I, I'm pretty sure you will have a new repository and your whole architecture <laughs> will be there. So no pressure. <laughs> and I'll bet the project's going to be called Debbie. Yes. Yes. Could be. Could be. Yeah. yeah. She's very super cute. So look after her and uh, take care of yourself. (laughs) Yep. No, I like to thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I I love your podcast. I think you do awesome work. Ah, (laughs) Thank you. People and spreading things around. Like uh, I've been uh, listening to a lot of your podcasts, and like it's a great place to get to the edgy, high end stuff. So. I really appreciate all the work you're doing as well. So th- thanks for having me. Imagine, yeah, thanks, know, we, we don't, we don't, you know, we're not high on information, but you know, with the noise, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Our sig- signal to noise ratio is pretty shitty, but okay. <laughs> yeah, there's no ratio. Anyway, no, no, it, it's just noise. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot, Wilker, and uh, good luck with Debbie. And, uh, you know, please post uh, photos Thank on you, Twitter. Will. So, you know, we'll yeah, follow. Any- when they start having problems with her, I'll ask her tips, dog tips from you now. Of course. Excellent, excellent, excellent. <laughs> this podcast is moving over the dogs. I mean, yeah, it's a wider audience. I mean, you know, we got to... Totally. <laughs> so, certainly two more people than closure developers. <laughs> Thank no, you. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to this episode of DevN. And the awesome vegetarian music or the track is Melon Hamburger by Pizzeri. And the show's audio is mixed by Walter Dillard. I'm pretty sure I butchered his name. Um, maybe you should insert your own name here, Dillard. If you'd like to support us, uh, please do check out our Patreon page. And you can show your appreciation to all the hard work or the lack of hard work that we're doing. And um, you can also catch up with uh, either Ray with me for some unexplainable reason. Uh, you want to interact with us, then uh, do check us out on Slack, Closure and Slack or Closureverse, or on Zulip, or just at us at Deafen Podcast on Twitter. Enjoy your day and see you in the next episode. I'm not sure which which where this part shows up in the in the magic that uh, Walter does later. <laughs>